I want to talk about the paradox of Christmas. Talk about how that Christmas seems to have a split personality. I want to look at this a little bit more. Amen. Father, I ask now you give us insight to your word. Our hearts and minds rejoice in you as the prophecies come forth in such a way that stirs our heart that we might be a people, oh Lord God, firmly planted within your word and be able to rejoice as the Savior. Not only a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, but in fact, a soon coming king. Lord, I ask you to touch, strengthen always that our hearts and minds be open to you. Let us leave this place different than we have come in your precious, precious name. I want to talk to you this morning about the mystery of Christmas. Take the text from Matthew chapter 13, verse 17. I probably should have done that in white. But anyways, here it goes. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, hear but did not hear it. Amen. And so I want to talk a little bit about that paradox of Christmas. Amen. Now it came to my mind. In fact, it came to mind last weekend. We were we went to Essex and went to the Christmas train with the kids, and and there was a such a contradiction in 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 there. There were some songs we were singing, Christmas songs, Christmas carols, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all that. And then at the end, we were singing Silent Night. And I was like, what a contrast! We got all these folks around us, and there's two distinct messages here when it comes to the issue of Christmas. Talk about the issue of a paradox. Whoops, back up. Paradox is here. And I looked at Charles Dickinson. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. We're talking about two truths that lay right side of each other, both realities, yet somehow there's contradictory. There's a there's a, a, a mystery there. One old English definition of paradox was this: something ap- apparently absurd and yet true. And so there we have the Christmas donkey, which obviously is a contrary, and it is a something that is a well, I hate to say it, but apparently absurd. But yet, some can see a real Christmas donkey, and yet it be, be true. You know, there's the Santa Claus that we recognize at this time. He's a mystical, supernatural, empowered fat elf who slides down chimneys, whose entire verbal impact on this world was ho, ho, ho. And in contrast, there's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the supernatural God-man whose words are so profound and so deep and so eternal and so like giving who bring joy to this world to all that would hear and somehow as Christians we can find ourselves being caught between these two different characters and as a result there is this massive confusion there's this frantic rushing around everywhere there's traffic madness and then just crowds and impossible schedules all the time while we're trying to have peace on earth celebrating this People celebrating peace on earth and men not able really to find it. Over 2,000 years ago, one star lit a sky over the spot where the Lord was born. Today, we're drowned by lights all around us in this Christmas season. All of the stores are lit up and places where you can buy things that you don't need and won't even fit. Things that you're going to bring back after Christmas and try to get what you really think you need. And so we're talking about a Christmas chaos. The first Christmas was a poor one. There was a manger and a stable. Today's Christianity, Christmas is today displayed with the wealth of of millions of people spending billions of dollars to indulge in temporal, temporal things. The first Christmas, wise men came to worship. Today, fools worldwide ignore the one the wise men worship. Santa Claus gives you what you want. 
because you deserve it. Jesus Christ gives you what you need, even though you don't deserve it. There's a difference. And so this morning, I simply want to take a quick look at the illogical, perplexing, contrary nature of Christianity that shows us it is supernatural, shows us its supernatural character, Jesus, and the revelation of Christ. But before we do that, we actually need to go back in time. We need to go back to the days and years before Christmas, get to the other side of Christmas, back to the Old Testament. And I want us to look at some of the prophecies concerning the Messiah. Now we know that the prophecies that those prophets spoke before Christmas were very difficult for them. It was hard for them to truly understand what they were writing about, how it could come about. In fact, Peter would say this, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings, notice this, the sufferings of Christ on one hand and the glories that would follow. Almost seems to be a contradiction between sufferings and glory. And I want you to notice how the, the prophets were in a quandary. How the, the prophet scripture says, searched intently with the greatest of care, trying to find out the times and circumstances. Because the prophecies that they were receiving from the Lord, the message from the Lord was that there was going to be a suffering Messiah, but at the same time there was going to be the glories of the Messiah. And so the question before the prophets were, which will it be? Will it be suffering or will it be glory? Because the contrast throughout the prophecies of the Old Testament made it really difficult for the, for the prophets to understand. And so they would search very carefully into what person, into what time they're actually writing about. The Old Testament presents the coming Messiah as a conqueror. Yet there are many passages of Scripture that present him as a crushed enemy. Some of the prophecies in the Old Testament spoke of him bringing joy to the world. And yet other Old Testament prophecies makes him, well, sees him as a man of sorrow. Sometimes the prophecies declared him to be a conqueror. And yet others would say he was rejected. Sometimes the prophecies would see him as with, with great triumph and strength. And, and yet sometimes he was one full of weakness. There was the one in the Old Testament prophecies that would bring life. And other prophecies would tell us he was the one who was going to die. Some would speak of him as being a king of kings and lord of lords and the king of heaven, the eternal king, a desire of all nations. And yet there's other prophecies that would tell us nothing about him would ever appeal to men. On one hand, he is seen as the lion of Judah. And yet at the other hand, he is seen as a lamb to be led to the slaughter. He is seen as the judge of the world coming to judge sinners. And yet we see him as in other prophecies, being unjustly judged by sinners and executed as a criminal. And all these mysterious truths are lying side by side in the Old Testament. And it caused the prophets to search out what time and what person could possibly fulfill all of these. And then it stretches right into the New Testament as well. There's John the Baptist. 
His birth was actually a miraculous birth because we know Zachariah and Elizabeth were well beyond their barren years. Very old in age. And yet the Lord would allow him, allow them to have a son. He would be the last of the Old Testament prophets. 400 years of silence would now end with this new prophet. And he was a prophet that was not going to announce the anticipation or the coming of the Messiah. No, no. He was there to announce the arrival of the Messiah. The arrival of the Messiah. That's exactly what John was called to do. John the Baptist. But even then, he found himself in a bit of a dilemma. He was the one who was to herald Christ. John, the Scripture says, had been preaching the baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sin. As it was written in the book of Isaiah, the prophet, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. Every valley shall be filled in and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads will become straight and rough ways smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. And John would say to the crowds coming out to be baptized, but you brood of vipers. I think next time we have visitors, I'll try that. You brood of vipers! You, know? <laughs> you warn, Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abram as our father, for I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. An axe is already at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into fire. That was John's call. That was his ministry. He was announcing the Messiah and what the Messiah was going to do according to Scripture. And yet, verse 20 tells us he finds himself, well, in prison. Herod added to this them all. He locked John up in prison. Things aren't going like John thought they would go. Now apparently the Scripture tells us that he was allowed visitors. And visitors would come to John and they would tell him of the Messiah. They would tell them what Jesus was doing. And that just complicated things for John. It confused him. Because the message that John was preaching was a message that came from the very... Mouth of God. The Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 2, it says this, the Word of God came to John. And he went into all the country around Judah, uh, Jordan, preaching and the uh, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So here's John in prison saying, I don't understand. Here's this man coming. He says, and they're telling me all these great wonderful things he's doing. He's healing and, and the blind can now see and the lame can walk and He's ministering with compassion and yet I've been preaching uh, the message of the axe to the roots and, and, and fire and brimstone and that came from the Word of the Lord. I was speaking prophetically about the Messiah. A message of repentance. A message of salvation. A message that the kingdom, the Messiah was coming to establish a kingdom and bring judgment to all the, the sinners. And John is saying, I don't see any of that. There's no great work of salvation occurring. Nothing good is being done in Israel at that point. The nation has rejected Him. There's no judgment upon them. Where's the hellfire and brimstone on their heads? John doesn't understand what's going on. He's confused. Something isn't right. And so what does he do? 
He does the right thing. He sends His disciples to Jesus. And they ask Him, John wants to know. The one appointed by your Father to speak, or by Father God to speak, the announcement of Messiah, they want to know. He wants to know, are you Him? Are you the one? Or is there another one that's coming? Should we expect someone else? Because what I've been preaching, what God Almighty told me to preach in preparing the way for the Messiah is not what's happening here. And I want you to notice the Lord's answer. He said, I want you to go back to John and I want you to report to John what you've heard and seen. The blind receive the sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And John's thinking, but that's the opposite of judgment. It's a message of compassion. It's a message of mercy. It's a message of kindness. It's a message of blessing and healing. Healing like the world has never experienced in history. Jesus was saying to to John, reminding John, that the prophets not only prophesied about judgment and fiery judgment, but they also prophesied well about mercy and kindness and relief from suffering. Messiah's message was he was both. In fact, as Isaiah Isaiah 30 Five was one of those prophecies. Look at it, it says, Strengthen the feeble hands and steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful heart, Be strong. Do not fear for your God will come. He will come with vengeance. He will, with divine retribution, He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Waters will gush forth from the wilderness and springs in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts of the jackals once where they once lay. Grass and reeds and fire will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in the way. Wicked fools will not go about. Nor the lion. Notice this nor the lion will be there. Any ferocious beast get up on its way. They will not be found. But only the redeemed will walk there. Someone will say glory. And the redemption of the Lord will return. The ransom of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. And then there's Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord, the Sovereign Lord, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captive released dark from darkness, those prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Notice the two. To comfort all that are mourned, to provide for those who grieve in Zion. Bestow upon them the crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness. And that's where I get the concept, folks, where we're not building, we're not trying to produce a bunch of squash around here. We're looking to produce oaks of righteousness. Amen. A planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. And that's what it's about.
That's the reason why we get into the Word. That's the reason why we worship, pray. pray. That's why we gather together. That we might become oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord to display His splendor. That's what He desires from us. And so you can see that John the Baptist, he is he's faced with the same tension the Old Testament prophets faced. What's going on? Who will come and how will we be able to be both? What can we expect? How can these very contrary? How can these mysterious contradictions come together in one person in one time? How? You know, the marvel, the marvelous reality of Scripture. Is that the, 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 the seemingly divisive and contrary prophecies, according to Meyer, according to the, the Messiah, actually make it possible for, you know, make it impossible for any other person to be the true Messiah than Jesus Christ Himself. You see, all the Old Testament prophecies are locked treasures. The key for unlocking those treasures. Is found in the New Testament, in the revelation of Jesus Himself. In fact, Jesus would tell His disciples, I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men, this is the opening text, I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. See, Jesus was saying, it was difficult for the prophets to really understand it was difficult for John the Baptist to understand. And Jesus is saying, it was difficult for them to understand, but you understand perfectly. Because you are the full record. Here I am. You know, what was to the Old Testament prophets, which seemed to be contradictory, are crystal clear to us. And let me show you some of the scriptures that reveal, that make it crystal clear. Jesus truly is. Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah, Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? You will try the patience of my God also. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call, his, call him Emmanuel. Folks, that's, that's the story. The reality of Christmas is the birth of a son. The son of man. Both man and God in the same person. We can see that. We understand that on this side of Christmas, that first Christmas day, we understand it because we have the full New Testament revelation of the nature of Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament prophets, well, they understood. They understood well, no. How would they understand? How would they understand a virgin being with child? Now, they understood the idea of, you know, the process of birth. They understood how children would come into this world, but a virgin? And not just a child coming into this world. A son was coming in. There's a son whose name is Emmanuel. And so they're prophesying that a virgin is going to bear a son 
That's never happened. It's impossible. How can we write these things down? We don't understand. But you and I both know it was necessary because there had to be a human equation in the Savior. It wasn't going to be two humans. It was going to be a human and a God. That the Holy Spirit would come and conceive and marry a child who was both the son of Mary and the son of God. And the sign was going to be, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And I wonder if the Scripture says, Behold. You know why it says, Behold? Because it's shocking. A virgin is with child. She's conceived. We're talking about deity at that point. He will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is truly God and truly man. That's an ultimate absurdity. doesn't make any sense. How can it be? When you go over to Isaiah chapter 9, for to us a child, now I want you to get this now, for us, and we sometimes miss this, for to us a child is born and a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, that's a prophecy? Listen, every, every, everyone is born a child. Of course. Child is born. Okay. But a child is also given. He's not just born. He's also given. Given by whom? Given by God. And so there you have it again. You have man and God. You have, you have a fully man, fully God in one being born. And yet given. Born to a woman. Yet given from heaven. Given from heaven. As if he already existed. Because he did. And the scripture goes on to tell us, and the government, and the increase of the government will be of and of peace will be it will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom and establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And notice what he says, and the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This child who was born and who was given by God Himself is a ruler. This child is fully God. Fully man. And upon His shoulders is going to be the responsibility and uh, to rule a kingdom that has no limits and has no end. And this rule of this child, both born and given, is going to fulfill the very promise God made covenant-wise to David. That He was going to sit on David's throne over David's kingdom to fulfill the covenant God made to David. And I go over to Psalm 89 and it's magnificently spoken here. And I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make known faithfulness known to all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever and that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I will make, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. Notice this. And I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm throughout all generations. The prophecy. He will come. And He will establish His kingdom. He will establish His kingdom with, with righteousness and justice. And over in Psalm 2, 
I will proclaim the decree of the Lord, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. And you will dash them into pieces like pottery. Therefore the king, therefore you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry with you and he be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. There's that paradox there. He will rule with a rod of iron. And there will be instant justice, instant righteousness, instant punishment. But yet, his will be a government of peace. government of peace. Because peace is going to be established by justice and by righteousness. And think about that yourself. How that peace is established in our own personal lives. Peace is established by right living, a right relationship with our God. And justice. Knowing what is right and what is wrong according to our Scriptures. Righteousness and justice form the foundation a true peace within our lives. And when we no longer desire to be like our King, have right relationship with our God, and when we, we kind of think twice about what we can do, and we look for those little areas of wiggle in, in our world, and the choices we make, and decisions we make, and what is right and what is wrong, there can be no peace found in that. Peace is found in righteousness and justice. The very nature of the Kingdom. The nature of our King kingdom of peace. A peace that will be established by justice and righteousness is going to last forever and forever. And the Scripture says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And God's plans cannot be altered. So we, so we have within Scripture the prophecy about a child to be born who's also given. A child in the earthly sense yet a son in the heavenly sense. Who will have a kingdom with no limits in the terms of space and have no limits in the terms of time. It doesn't end there. The prophecy continues. Identifies His rule and a name given unto Him. For a child, for to a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Amen. The virgin will be given birth to a son. A child will be born who is God eternal. Who come into time and space, who has always existed. He establishes the kingdom by his righteousness and justice. And yet it's a kingdom of peace. A kingdom of peace. A kingdom of peace. A kingdom of peace. Praise God for that. Amen. To establish His kingdom forever. To establish His kingdom forever. God's plans cannot be altered. They cannot be altered. They cannot be altered. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Amen. I'm trying to find out where I am right now, folks. Bear with me on this. 
His name will be given Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, when I think about Him being a Wonderful Counselor, it doesn't mean that He's going to be one who has all the good information and makes you really, really, really helps you in, in the problems that come in your life. He's a wonderful counselor, but that's not the point. It's talking about this infinite nature of His wisdom. He rules well. His wisdom to rule everything forever is flawless. He knows what to do in every situation. Not only does He know what to do, but the Scripture says He has the power to do it. For He is a mighty God. His wisdom is equal to His power, and His power is equal to His wisdom. He has the wisdom and power to, to rule the universe. But it doesn't end there. He's also known as the Eternal Father. And you say, well, what's that supposed to mean, Eternal Father? It means He cares for His children. He is a Father to His children. He eternally loves His children. He eternally provides for His children. He leads His children to prosperity and to blessing. And then He's called, His name is, Prince of Peace. He causes a kingdom of peace. Because in His presence, and all those in His presence will be at peace. They are peace with God because they've made peace with God. And now they, they possess this infinitely perfect peace of God. There's no king that has ever reigned that could say that he's always been at peace. No king would be as compassionate, loving, and kind, providing and caring Father as this one. To be that way to every single person in His kingdom. There's no king like that. And you have to step back and you say, these prophecies are amazing. Amazing prophecies. That a virgin would give birth to a son. That a child would be born who is eternal God who will, will come into time and space, who has always existed. He establishes His kingdom by righteousness and justice. And yet it is a kingdom of peace. What an amazing, amazing, amazing prophecy. And so who could it be? Who could fulfill? Who could fulfill all of these prophecies? What person could fulfill all of these prophecies? And the Scripture says, the angel of the Lord went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled by these words, the Scripture says, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid. You notice how we talked about this? Every time an angel shows up, people freak out. And so here it is. An angel shows up to Mary. And, and you know, I almost think the angel starts start saying, I'm coming. Be ready. But they just show up. And so she's freaking out. Oh, I don't know what I'm And she's full of fear. And the Scripture says, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you will give him the name Jesus. He will be great. And be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will not ever end. Everything that was promised and prophesied in Isaiah 7. And Isaiah 9 is now fulfilled in the Son of God. 
John chapter 4, verse 14 tells us, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory and the glory of the One and the Only who came from the Father full of grace and of truth. Folks, He is the child who is the eternal God. He is the child who is the eternal God. Amen. There. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 says this, He was called the seed of the woman. And Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 said, He is the son of man. And Psalm 2, 7 says, He is the son of God. In Genesis 22, He is the son of Abraham, though He existed before Abraham. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, He is the son of David, though Isaiah 11, 10 says, He is the root of Jesse, David's father. In Matthew 22, He is both David's son and David's Lord. Only Jesus could fulfill these prophecies. A father that was born, a son of born of a virgin, the virgin he created, the son of, of Abraham who predates Abraham, the son of David who predates David, the God man. Only Jesus. This is no wonder Jesus would say to his disciples, and specifically talking to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's all because it becomes clear to us it's all found in Christ and only in Him. And then there's one more, one more final mystery. It's the mystery of the stone. The Old Testament prophets talked about the Messiah as being a stone. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14 and 15 says, A stone to strike, a stone to stumble over. Isaiah 28.16 says, A tested cornerstone. Psalm 118.22 says, A rejected stone that became the chief cornerstone. Daniel chapter 2, verse 34 and 35 said, A stone cut without hands that smashes other nations. You say, what kind of stone is that? Is he a, a, a striking stone? Is he a stumbling stone? A smashing stone? A rejected stone? Or a tested cornerstone? Is he a chief cornerstone? Because there again you see contradictions. Is he a dangerous stone or a welcoming stone? Is he the rock of refuge or a rock of judgment? Which is he? And then Peter pulls it all together. He says this, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by man, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Do you trust in Jesus today? Scripture says the stone has been laid that will never be put to shame. Now to you, verse 7, now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Amen. They think of Jesus. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and the stone that will cause men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They will stumble because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. But verse 9 said, but you are chosen people. He didn't say frozen people. He said a chosen people. 
A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise. Of, now, what's our purpose? To declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. To share what God Almighty has done with you and for you. Who he is. Amen. He's called you out of darkness into marvelous light, wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. That's good news. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's the good news. So the Scripture is telling us that He is both a stone of judgment, but at the same time, He is a stone of blessing. And this whole dilemma of the stone is actually solved in verse 7 when it tells us very clearly that what the stone is of precious value to those who believe. So this wonderful stone, the mystery of the stone is solved. It is a blessing to us who believe. But a stumbling block an offense to those who do not believe. For those who disbelieve, stumbling block of, block of offense. And the reason why they stumble, the Scripture said, is they refuse to be obedient to the Word, to allow the Word of God, the precepts and principles of God's Word, to guide them and direct them. They allow their traditions of man, they allow mom and dad and family and everything else to come into their life and control them and deliver and to to direct them. For the child of God, we leave all those things behind. We give our lives unto Christ and say, Father, Holy Spirit, have your way. I, I don't have the answers. I don't want to copy mom and dad. I don't want to go through the process. No, no, no. I want, I want you to guide me and lead me now. Because if I'm disobedient to the Word, there's a doom that's coming. It's appointed to come. So we find that Jesus is both, He is both the rock of our refuge to those who believe and the rock of offense to those who do not believe. And so really it comes right down to the issue is one of belief or unbelief. It is one of obedience and disobedience. And the truth of the matter is each one of us, we have a free will. We determine what, who He'll be. And we determine who will be by what we do with Christ. He'll either be a cornerstone to our lives or he'll be a crushing, smashing stone that destroys our hope in our lives. Now I'll remind you one more time, the first time Jesus Christ came, a star marked His arrival. The next time He comes, the stars in heaven are going to begin to fall. The first time He came, wise men and shepherds brought Him honor. The next time He comes, the Scripture says, He will bring honor to His people. The first time He came, there was no room for Him in the inn. The next time He comes, the universe. will not be able to contain His glory. The first time He came, only a few saw Him in His arrival. But Revelation tells us the next time He comes, every eye will see Him. The first time He came, He came as a lamb. The next time He comes, He comes as a lion. And you say, Amen. To God be the glory. Father, we want to thank You for this day. I want to thank You for Your Word, Lord. I want to thank You because under the weight of Scripture and the wonder of Your truth, Your Word has been revealed to us. Your Word that is so powerful and so divine and has all Your glory in it. Because it reveals to us who Jesus truly is.
the Word made flesh, our soon coming Savior. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for working with us and revealing us Jesus and, and to Jesus and, and, and revealing us the Word throughout the New Testament. To reveal us to us the mysteries and, and the answers to all those riddles that come up and all those questions and queries. Show us the truth. Thank you, Lord, for making the impossible. Those things that were impossible in the Old Testament to the Old Testament prophets. It was impossible to those who were righteous at the time. Making it possible for us to clearly understand clearly understand, even so much so that a child can understand. We know that you came, Lord. You came first as a lamb. We understand, according to Scripture, the next time you come, you're coming as a lion. First you came as a Savior. We know that. The next time you're coming as a judge. Scripture reveals that to us. First time you came, Lord, you came as a servant. The next time you're coming as king. Scripture reveals that. Lord, I pray that we will see, that we may see your glory. See your glory, Lord. At this time of Christmas, Lord, we will see your glory. And not just this time, but let it carry out the rest of our lives, Lord, the wonder of your glory and how, how, how it's fulfilled, how you fulfilled the Old Testament. And how the Old Testament tells us that we are now in the New Testament to declare the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is our Savior and our Redeemer, Redeemer of all mankind, to those who will hear. Father, I pray that no one will be left behind. That no one will be found not believing, not accepting. So Father, I pray you'll anoint us in such a way that we'll give people all the right reasons to serve you and to love you. Let there be consistency in our own lives. Let there be that justice, that righteousness be in our lives. It's defined by who you truly are. Because the Scripture is clear, whoever believes in Him, in Jesus, will not perish, but have everlasting life. We need to thank Him. Thank Him for that great gift of salvation. That salvation that comes only by faith in Christ Jesus. And our prayer should be that the Lord's work, His work will be in every heart. And all this can be prayed for and thank the Lord in the precious name of Jesus. Can you say amen? And amen. I want us to end the service this morning with some songs. I put together, got together a little medley. And I want us just to stand to our feet. And as we go through the songs, you kind of sing along with them a little bit and worship the Lord. There's a couple songs in there that we may not know, but that's okay. It gives an opportunity for us to worship. But I really want us just to take the time and worship our God, our King. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to sing some songs here. To God be the glory. Praise His holy, holy name. Praise His holy name. To worship Him as King. Precious stone to those who believe. The Son that was born, the Son that was given. Redeemer and Savior for those who believe. Righteous judge to those who do not. Amen. The prophecies have been fulfilled. You and I can stand upon the God's Word is true. 
begin to herald that message to those who do not know. Oh, the Lord would give us wisdom as we begin to present that message, as we continue to present that message. That all that hear with the sound of our voice can be drawn to Christ. Amen? Not by the things we say, but by how we reveal Him to those around, through our lives, the decisions we make, the compassion, the care, the reaching out. Can you say amen? Amen. God is good all the time. God is good. I thank you for your faithfulness. I want you to enjoy this coming week. Enjoy Christmas with your family and your friends. We'll be back next Sunday. Next Sunday is always kind of a strange Sunday for me because it's right between Christmas and New Year's. I want to preach a message in New Year's of a brand new year, and I've got this one in the middle. So maybe we'll talk about presents returned. I don't know. We'll come up with something. Maybe my wife will introduce me to another Italian animal. All I know is when I saw it, I said, I'm playing this. She said, no, you can't. I said, why not? She said, you can't. You'll get somebody mad at you. And I said, Angela, if this congregation doesn't know who I am by now, I said, I'm playing this, man. I enjoy it. We don't have a Swedish donkey. We don't. It'd be like Eric, the Swedish donkey. We don't have one, you know. And so I don't know what we'd have. But anyway, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun and uh, it's cute. And I said, Angela, fits perfect with what I'm preaching about. I'm going to do that for the joy of the world. There's a paradox there, kind of a twist. And aren't we caught between two worlds when you think about it? The world around us is all Santa Claus and all this stuff, and yet we know the real meaning of it, and we're caught between the two. But I just want to reinforce every one of us. The scriptures are clear. The prophecies have been fulfilled. It's in Christ and only in Jesus. Amen and amen. Father, we want to thank you for the day you've given. The word as it's come forth, that our hearts and minds continue to be drawn to you. And Father, for truly you are building, you're creating within us those trees of righteousness that we might express your glory. Give us the strength we need day by day. Let others come to know you as Savior. We love you a bunch. Especially in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. Amen.